Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Do In Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. This episode of Doing Time may contain audio images of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who have died and discussion of deaths in custody. And it also may contain audio, will contain audio images of genocide. Coming up on the show, we're going to be joined by Omar, who is from West Bank, Gaza, and I'm going to ask him to tell us what town he's from. And he is from the Australian-Palestinian Advocacy Network and also from Free Palestine Melbourne and has been organising rallies for the whole year. And I have invited Omar onto the show because I wanted to talk to him about the war and the humanitarian disaster, but also linking it up with historical context and political prisoners. I'm also going to be speaking with Omar about how you deal with anti Semitic claims in the course of Palestinian advocacy. So he's going to be talking to us about the background of what's happening um, as well with the war. After that, we're going to be speaking with Brett Collins from Justice Action, and we will speak to him uh, about an update about some projects that Brett and Justice Action are doing. Justice Action is a prison uh, collective that does a lot of wonderful programs for prisoners. And we'll talk about computers in cells and also organising external counselling for prisoners in New South Wales. So joining us now is Omar, and I'm honoured to have him. Hello, Omar. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me on. It's so lovely to have you. Could you just give us a little bit of introduction about who you are and where you're from? And please pronounce the name of that lovely town that you're from. Yes, so my family hails from a village named Shweke, which is quite literally on the border between 1948 Palestine, what we would refer to as the State of Israel, and the West Bank. And that village is part of the wider city named Tulkarim, which is in the West Bank, which is in historic Palestine. And my, me, myself, my father came here in 1998 after the devastation of the first Iraq war. And ever since, I have become an active member of the Palestinian advocacy here in Melbourne. Not only that, but I am also an immigration paralegal. And part of the reason I am an immigration paralegal is because of the displacement, 
and the making of refugees of the entire Muslim Arab population throughout many countries due to the hands of Western imperialist nations. Thank you so much for that really concise introduction. So can you tell us about some of the work that you've been doing to to help the people of Gaza, but also to give us a little bit of background as to what's happened and what is happening? Because I know that the mainstream media really doesn't report a lot of the accurate information, do they? Well, it's not that they don't report a lot. It's called deception, where you take an inkling of truth and you surround it with lies. As there is a popular saying that goes around, a thread of truth is all a liar needs. And we have been witnessing obscene and, quite frankly, disgusting lies from the media and the Zionist entities, which uh, apparently ruled the Western world. On to your question, I will start with the statement that History does not begin on the 7th of October with the Palestinian attacks onto uh, historic Palestine. Rather, history begins before the 7th of October, in that I myself have begun doing advocacy for Palestine this year. And I have done three protests in my time. One for Jenin, a city constantly under siege in the West Bank. One for Jerusalem a city basically ruled by an apartheid military system where Palestinians, Christians, and Muslims are under a different set of laws from the Jewish counterparts, and one more to commemorate the Nakba in the middle of the year. Now, this goes on to the second portion of the question. What is the Nakba? The Nakba is the genesis point of the entire conflict in the Middle East regarding Palestine and Israel. The Nakba is an ex- mass expulsion of the indigenous inhabitants of Palestine in 1948. And this occurred after decades of British colonial rule over Palestine, in which they cemented a foreign population of European uh, Jewry to come in and basically set up a Western colony in Palestine. In doing so, that colonialist project had kicked out the indigenous Palestinians, had subjugated them, and had established a system of apartheid now recognized by Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, and even the Harvard uh, School of the Law. What has this led up to is that Gaza in particular has been turned into not just an open-air prison camp, but people are referring to it as a concentration camp. As Israel controls the borders of Gaza, controls the water, fuel, electricity, internet supply of Gaza. And since 2005, when they apparently withdrew, that is a lie, they only established a siege around it, the Israeli state has imposed almost six, seven different wars on Gaza and the people of Gaza against the Palestinian population, not Hamas, the Palestinian population in 2007, 2009. 2012, 2014, 2018, 2021, and now in 2023, killing tens of thousands of children, not even mentioning the adults, killing tens and thousands of children. And that is what has been happening in Palestine for the past 75 years, a recognized 
legally internationally recognized apartheid and a concentration camp in Gaza. Thank you so much for setting the historical context there because it's really important for listeners to know that this is not new. Of course, of course. Yes, it's not new. The history doesn't start on the 7th of October. So how does one deal with antiseptic claims in the course of Palestinian advocacy? Yes, uh, anti-Semitic claims in the course of Palestinian struggle. Now, quite literally, before I had come onto this program, I saw on Twitter a fellow Palestinian advocate in the UK named Dili Hussein attempted to be cancelled over his pro-Palestine stand to the point that this particular pro-Palestine advocate, who is a contributor to Al Jazeera, the Huffington Post, and the Middle East Eye, they are now trying to cancel him and make him lose his job on all four of those uh, media publications. All due to the claim of anti-Semitism. Now, it is not anti-Semitic to be against the policies and actions of the institutional state of Israel. And no Palestinian, whether he be an Islamist or whether he be a Marxist, and anything in between advocates for the expulsion or the mass murder of the Jews, which had occurred in Europe, both in Central Europe, Western Europe, and Eastern Europe. The Middle Eastern culture and the Muslim um, community does not do and does not have a history of genocide against Jewish people as the Europeans do. No. So any claims of anti-Semitism is completely unfounded as this is a movement for justice. This is a movement for justice, not only for Muslims, Christians, but also Jews who are being persecuted for, def- for attacking the uh, apartheid regime and denouncing uh, genocide in their own country. So Free Palestine is a justice movement, is a movement of fairness and equality for all people in the land of historic Palestine. That is your starting point. And any pro-Palestinian advocate should start from that premise. Secondly, we should acknowledge the history in that before 1948, Jews, Christians, and Muslims lived in historic Palestine in peace and harmony. These are not my words. These are the words of Mikko Pilot, a general's son from the IDF. This was a famous rabbi living in Jerusalem. And his student asked his Jewish rabbi, what would you do if you had control over Israel? And he said, the rabbi said, the first thing I will do is that the Palestinians come back. The student said, why? The Palestinians want to kill us. And the rabbi said, no, you have been deceived because the Palestinians and the Muslims and the Christians lived in peace and harmony before the Zionist invasion. So we have to recognize that there is a history let alone there is a precedent of coexistence between Arabs and Jews, between Christians, Jews, and Muslims. And in essence, it is anti-Semitic to claim that the state of Israel is a Jewish nation, because the state of Israel does not represent all of Judaism. Judaism is a 3,000-year-old religion of peace and harmony, whereas Zionism, the principle which the state of Israel is established upon is actually a colonialist regime 
masquerading as a Jewish ideology, but in reality, it is not. And we must recognize that once they try to conflate Judaism with the state of Israel, that in itself is anti-Semitism. Absolutely, and I'm so glad that we were talking off-air about this question, weren't we? And it's really important that this was talked mm-hmm. about. Of course, we, there is a false premise that all Jews are represented by the state of Israel. This is the biggest lie of them all, and Jews are lock, in lockstep with Christians and Muslims attempting to dismantle and demolish the apartheid terrorist state of Israel. And that's still happening now? Of course. Have you seen... Um, New York Central, uh, the the station, New York Central Station. Almost a thousand um, Jews had gone into New York Central Station demanding a ceasefire. And not only secular Jews or nationalist Jews are in those, even religious Jews, such as uh, the academic David Westerstein, has said that Islam had saved Jewry in the past. So, of course, we can easily dismantle these claims of anti-Semitism by being educated on the history of coexistence and harmony between all three faith communities. It's true. And I'm wondering, too, if you just talk a little bit about political prisoners and what's happening with that. So the state, well, sorry, not the state, the apartheid regime of Israel has enacted a system of administrative detention. When we say administrative detention, it means to be convicted and to be imprisoned without right, without trial. Why is this allowed under the Israeli apartheid state? It is because there is effectively four areas of law in Israel. There is the what is internationally recognized as the state of Israel, where... There is almost 30 laws separating the rights of Arabs and Jews. Then in the city of Jerusalem, there are even more military edicts. I repeat again, military edicts separating the living conditions of Palestinians and Arabs. Then in the West Bank, there is a complete military rule. And this is what we're going to focus on. When there is a military rule, you can issue administrative detentions lawfully, meaning that the Israeli state has imprisoned from all different political groups, from the secularist Fatah group to the Marxist PLF to even Islamist groups. They have imprisoned all members of these groups under administrative attention without any right to trial, to any court hearing, to any accountability, and this number of political detainees has superseded 6,000 prisoners. Almost 2,000 of them are children, children in administrative attention. And it is stated by the Palestinian resistance that if Israel agrees to release all 6,000 prisoners, under administrative attention, that the the Palestinian resistance will release all 200 Israeli hostages. But as thus far, the Israeli uh, apartheid state is more interested in torturing and administratively detaining prisoners without right. I'm so glad that you explained that. 
So in terms of what's happening at the moment currently, what yes. can be done? I believe you're doing some rallies, organising some rallies here. Yes. So we have another rally to come on the coming Sunday here in Melbourne in front of State Library at 12 o'clock. But in terms of other things that can be done, and I'll keep it short, sure, that's is that time. do not come to the protest if you're not doing other. Meaning, there's no point in coming to a protest if you're not going to educate yourself on the history of Palestine, as I have just given a small snippet of in this interview. There is no point of coming to a protest if you're not donating money, life-saving money, to people without food, without water, without electricity, and quite recently without internet. People are in need of more than your solidarity. They need your action. They need your knowledge. They need you to not forget them. They need you to remember them through history, through education, through donations. And once you have achieved the prerequisite, come to the protest and let your energy be felt and let the people of Palestine see you roar and scream and demand their rights and their freedoms because they appreciate it. And I guarantee you 100% they see it. You look at the Palestinians in Gaza who are on Twitter, all of them thank us profusely for our protest. But I'll tell you what they thank us more for, for our donations, for our charities, for our prayers. And most of all, for being able to educate ourselves about their plight, their resistance, and their uh, history of trauma. Because once we arm ourselves with education and knowledge, any Zionist lies, any media, media deceptions, any misinformation can easily be dealt with, for we are armed with the relevant information that will eventually bring around the justice and liberation of Palestine for all parties involved. Jews, Muslims, and Christians. What are the demands of the rallies, and is that does that include the role that or not the role that Australia is playing? Yes. Well, I think there's a central demand to the rally is that we demand a ceasefire, and we demand our government, especially Anthony Albanese, who co-founded, who co-founded the. Friends of Palestine Committee in the Parliament, but it is now actively starting the Zionist line. We want to pressure our government, first and foremost, unequivocally, without any delay, to demand a ceasefire and to abide within the international uh, instruments to call for a ceasefire and enforce a ceasefire in accordance with international law and the UN. Further than this, we demand that the Israeli apartheid terrorist state is dismantled and that there is a free Palestine from the river to the sea accommodating and serving justice to all three religions and all ethnicities which live within the border of Palestine. But we say in these protests to stop the occupation because if the occupation is there, the war will continue. And if the occupation ceases and people are afforded justice, this is when we will be able to turn a new page in the history books regarding this conflict. You have been really clear, and I wanted to just ask you if there are any other comments that you would like to make. I mean, have you been on 3CR often? Is this your first yes, time? Yes, I, I, oh, yeah. I, no, I had an interview on 3CR 
around uh, April or May of this year, if I remember correctly. Fantastic. And um, I, I will repeat one thing, which is uh, out of the blue. But I want you to listen, anyone watching these or uh, listening yeah. to this program, to listen to the videos coming out of Gaza. And when a father who has lost his entire family pulls his daughter, his dead, maimed daughter, out of the rubble, and what does he say? He says, Allahu Akbar. He says, God is great. I am of the firm conviction that the religion of Islam, as you see in the videos, is battle-tested. Yeah. Is battle-tested in the way that these people are able to keep up and keep going up fighting because they have faith and conviction in uh, the God and in the religion of Islam. And I implore anyone who sees those videos and sees the resilience, the perseverance of the Palestinian people to know that they could have that same resilience and perseverance if they embrace the same religion as these people who are heroically fighting Gaza are demonstrating. Absolutely. It's 4.21 and you're listening to an interview with Omar from uh, Gaza. Yes. And are you there? Correct me? Oh, you're from Gaza? Uh, no, no, I'm not from Gaza. I'm from the West Bank. The West Bank, uh, sorry? The West Bank? <laughs> Forgive me. Um, yeah, from West Bank, and it's approximately 4.21, and he's talking about what's happening in Palestine and many, many other topics. So, Omar, um, thank you so much for that correction. It's a little bit difficult navigating all the villages, so uh, sorry about that. No worries. It was a pleasure having uh, this opportunity. Lovely. And when the podcast comes out, um, I'll, I'll send you the link for the file. No worries. Thank you for having me on. Thanks a lot. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. And that was Omar from Westbank speaking about um, the historical context of what's happening in Palestine, but also looking at what's happening now. And he's been helping to organise some rallies, and he's from the Advocacy Network. Stand in solidarity with Palestine this Sunday. With the most devastating attack ever launched on the people of Gaza, it's time for all of us to stand in solidarity with the Palestinian people. Israel has waged war on the Palestinians for the last 75 years. The Nakba, ethnic cleansing, occupation of the West Bank, East Jerusalem and Gaza. Israel has now imposed a total blockade on Gaza and declared war, stopping food, electricity and fuel and launching an all-out attack. We have to mobilise to show our support for Palestine. 12pm, State Library, this Sunday... Rally to demand freedom and justice for Palestine. No war on Gaza. Free Palestine Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. fight isn't just the Palestinians fight it's all our fight because it's a fight not just about land it's about a fight for freedom everybody should be standing here today saying free Palestine solidarity with our Palestinian brothers and sisters on behalf of the Bumbanja nation my people who've never ceded their sovereignty 
we should be recognising Palestine as a state and recognising the rights of Palestinians. 3CR. Stay tuned, stay radical. For 200 years we've been beaten down Too long on the door My dignity I'm losing here Mentally I'm on There's a system here that nails us And we're left out in the cold Oh, they took our life and liberty friends But they could not buy our soul Joe Hill died, Jacob Vara fought, Pamela Wally lay down dead. If a person speaks out critically here, they could get loaded down with lead. How long can the majority wait for their story to unfold? Oh, they took their life and liberty friends, but they could not buy their soul. Well, the clever man spoke precisely Humanity said was done The greed for greed could not proceed If our struggles to be won For humanity is more important here Than a constant quest for gold Ah, you may take life and liberty, friends But you cannot buy our soul Donkey up through that gate He could see quite clearly He was going to meet his fate And the powers that be could see That he could not be born or so Ah, they took his life and lived their friends But they could not buy his soul Yeah, they took his life and lived their friends But they and you're back with the Doing Time show. It's approximately 4.27. And that was a song by Archie Roach called Cannot Buy My Soul. Just wanted to do a little, a few follow-up corrections in regards to Oma's interview. First of all, he's from West Bank and he um, actually spoke about that on air. And secondly, he's from Free Palestine, Melbourne, although he has done some work with the um, Australian Advocacy, sorry, the Palestinian Advocacy Network as well. And thanks to Peter, who's been listening in on the show, um, for helping me with that and indeed for assisting with helping to organise this interview. So it's approximately 427 and we're going to be speaking pretty soon with Brett Collins from Justice Action, and he's going to be giving an update now on some projects that he's been doing. But first, we'll do an announcement. 
Every form of discrimination that exists in our community is magnified and utilised by prisons to cause greater division and disarm solidarity. We've got to really put a lens of perspective on this and know that there are children being incarcerated as young as 10 years old. Police and prisons, they're doing exactly what this colony wants them to. Who do we defend? And who else? Prisons, pull them down. Yeah. 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. Stand in solidarity with Palestine this Sunday. With the most devastating attack ever launched on the people of Gaza, it's time for all of us to stand in solidarity with the Palestinian people. Israel has waged war on the Palestinians for the last 75 years. The Nakba, ethnic cleansing, occupation of the West Bank, East Jerusalem and Gaza. Israel has now imposed a total blockade on Gaza and declared war stopping food, electricity and fuel and launching an all-out attack. We have to mobilise to show our support for Palestine. 12pm, State Library, this Sunday. Rally to demand freedom and justice for Palestine. No war on Gaza. Free Palestine Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. And in case you've just tuned in, this is a doing time show, 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. And coming up on the show, we also have now Brett Collins from Justice Action, and I'd like to welcome him to the program to talk about computers in cells and also to discuss organising, that they're going to be organising some external counselling for prisoners, I'm hoping. Hello, Brett. Welcome to the program. Yes, thank you, Marissa. Lovely to speak with you again. You too. We've just finished doing an interview, actually, about uh, what's happening um, in Palestine. It really is a most traumatic, horrible time. Oh, for sure. And also for prisoners, actually, in Palestine too. There's a, a lot of interest, actually, in Palestine about what's happened to the um, Palestinian prisoners held at the moment in Israel. And uh, there are thousands of people there who've been picked up from the Palestinians and taken there and held um, for very, very long periods under extremely uh, uh, disgusting uh, conditions, uh, inhuman conditions. And so we've actually been getting feedback about that over the last few years, actually. But um, that's uh, definitely something to watch too. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it's all occupied territory anyway, isn't it? And I think yes, the comment absolutely. that Oma that made from Free Palestine Melbourne is that they're the prisoners, they're all prisoners there. You know, they're all political that, prisoners. Yes, absolutely. No, no, shocking situation. It's obvious, at least if nothing else, that um, there's a bit of focus there, but people are not just acting as though it isn't happening. So that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. So, Brett, you were on here about a month ago, but I, th- I wanted to invite you back on to just to give us an update, not only about the computers in cells, but also there are a couple of other things that you wanted to talk about. Can you just give us a little bit of background? Well, absolutely. So what they have achieved here in New South Wales is every, every prisoner um, has access now to a computer tablet or a laptop, 
and um, has access to certain whitelisted websites, can use the uh, the computer um, in their cell to talk. So they can actually speak with family, friends um, from in their cell, which is a really important thing. So until until this stage, uh, people quite often couldn't speak to their children after they come back from school. They were already sitting in a slot and um, and so uh, had no access to a phone, or they fought. Um, outside in the, in the in out in the yard for access to you know two two phones and quite often the phones weren't ring work um, working properly and they've been uh, smashed or uh, and some um, and that was all very difficult so it caused a lot of fights and things here in New South Wales and I don't doubt at all every other state and territory's got the same problem so we were very pleased to um, to have that roll out. Um, and so, and now we have um, we are in, in, engaged in ensuring uh, every every person has access now to things like uh, uh, law, access to information, they know about uh, you know what are their rights according to um, the most recent cases. So they have access to Ostley, access to statutes, things like that. Now that's actually up for negotiation right now. Um, and but to expect, we had a meeting with the minister just a couple of days ago, and um, and to be a wash up of that in the next uh, week or two, um, to ensure that um, that the investment that's been made by by um, by the government uh, actually um, brings uh, the benefits that's intended. So a whole lot of stuff follows, including access to to music, learning learning um, to uh, use music, have an external teacher um, on the on the tablets, and then most importantly, and the reason for. Um, the success is to have access to an external counsellor. So it means that um, it means the people um, can then, for the first time, have have their own counsellor and, and paid for by Medicare, uh, and able to then um, give you confidential information that allows you to then to deal with your problems. Absolutely, and I believe you were speaking off air to me about incorporating some type of legal justice program. Yes. Well, that's right. I mean, look, a really important part of this is access to law. So everyone has, is entitled to um, defend themselves. So having access to an ability to understand what's, what's actually happening um, to, uh, to ensure that uh, we can, um, anyone can, uh, can examine the cases and uh, present their arguments, all those things are basic. In fact, they're legal rights. So people go to the courts and say, I can't um, defend myself as I haven't been given the information I need. The court has an obligation to, um, to first of all, to tell the uh, corrective services, uh, make sure you get that um, um, access for that particular per- person, uh, and and to hold um, the court to um, pause the court um, uh, until that information is um, given to the prisoner. So very important, and um, that's one issue. And of course, then um, uh, the, all the other things, access to education, access to all those things, come in behind us. So it's a really significant change. And, um, and we expect um, it to uh, carry through into into um, also the kids as well. So <laughs> the amazing thing is that um, uh, here in, in New South Wales and equally in Victoria, um, um, the uh, youth people in youth detention are not having access to um, to a computer in their cells. So what we won for adults, we haven't succeeded in, in um, for the for youth justice. Um, so that's a really um, very significant. <laughs> And um, so we've actually done some quite some uh, work on this. I spent, in fact, we came down to Victoria uh, uh, there, well, you know, a while ago, a year or two years ago, and um, spoke to people in youth justice, and um, and we've just um, done a bit of an examination about what's happening in Victoria, and um, the, the cost of every kid in youth justice and in detention is $1.3 million a year per kid. <laughs> when I see 
that figure, I think, hang on, who's, who's getting the money? Where are these, how are all these Aboriginal kids? Most of them are Aboriginal kids, right? 50% in New South Wales and I'm sure equivalent in, in Victoria. Um, how are they spending $1.5 million on each kid and having a recidivism level that's actually half as much again as adults? It all takes a bit of explaining and, um, and um, so we're digging deeply to understand what's going on there. That's so fantastic that you were able to summarise what was happening with computers in cells because I know some listeners expressed a little bit of confusion um, after our last show just to find out what was going on there. Well, look, it's a real game changer. To anyone to, to think it's less than that is, is wrong. I mean, we've really what we've really done is we've broken, we've broken down the isolation of imprisonment and, um, and and we have a first in the world. It is first in the world, giving um, to um, to maximum security prisoners access to a phone, right, using the computer and the, and the, or the tablet as a phone, actually, and video video um, our, our calls are coming up as well, and also messaging coming up as well, as well as information. So once the flow is in, um, then it can't be stopped, and then it's, it's quite obvious that. Um, um, uh, support services, a whole range of things, and counselling, external counselling will come in. Yeah, and that's what tell, how, tell us about that, about the external counselling, Brett. What, what does, well, is, has we, that happened we, already or was it just something uh, that's emerging? Well, we're right now negotiating with a, a, an organisation, a company, that has 80 psychologists online and um, they're prepared to, to um, offer um, on, on, on a Medicare basis, so they're being funded, by Medicare, by the federal government, access to counselling to to prisoners in their cells. So that's actually going to be a major thing. So that's actually that negotiation has been running now for a few weeks. It's once again totally new, and um, and then that'll allow people ex- access to an external counsellor. So instead of having to rely on on collective services, um, the counsellors who are uh, who are really uh, all they're really looking for is a way in which they can. Uh, uh, make uh, decisions about release and classification and things like that, which where obviously the, the prisoner is going to tell them, <laughs> tell them whatever they need to tell them uh, to get the benefit from it. Uh, these, these will be actually counsellors who are your own counsellors who, who will uh, allow you to then uh, be honest and, and um, talk with them carefully with um, a drug and, uh, and substance um, uh, overuse or whatever that is, um, you know, or whatever the other um, problems are in their lives, they can actually deal with them and use their time properly in the cells. So it's a, it's a game changer. It, it couldn't be overstated how important it is. It really is important. So at the moment, currently, there isn't any counselling for prisoners externally? There's not. No, there's not. Definitely there isn't. In fact, they're openly admitting it here in New South Wales. And even um, in some areas, they're saying, well, there is counselling, but the counselling is only given to them by uh, like a very occasional visit by a psychologist who then reports to corrective services. So you've got this uh, conflict of interest where you're expected to trust somebody and they're using the information against you when it comes to making uh, making decisions of um, of uh, whether you're getting getting out or whether you're getting parole or a whole range of things there. So that's obviously that conflict of interest is one that breaks down any possible trust. And so that's really the key issue, and that's why the counselling has got to be external. And um, and so we've got agreement uh, to an extent of that agreement on that. We're still having to deal with it a little bit as well because corrective services are so used to having total control that this idea of having um, uh, the import model with services coming from outside 
to something that's foreign to them and they're having to deal with it carefully. And now, that's okay. We'll get it through because it's, um, it's happening in other countries, happening in, in Finland, for example, happening in, in, um, in some of the Scandinavian countries, um, you know, restricted sort of way it's happening now and, some, and it's definitely the way to go. So that'll be um, uh, watch the space. Watch the space for Victoria as well. I hope so because at the moment there's not really a model in prison, I, I don't think you can actually confide in anyone there. It's just the the screws, isn't it, and the uh, well, and, and the mate, social workers, could, the caseworkers. Well, right? yeah, I mean, look, everyone agrees in fact that the that um, you know, if the last thing prison doing, officers, actually, I should say, I, I better. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, uh, well, I mean, look. It, the only the, the place where you really get your information from and advice from is is your friends around you. That's the that's the truth of it. And and so we've uh, there's a lot of research being done on on the question about suicide and um, and whether in fact people are considering suicide. That what's the best? Where's the best um, source of um, support? And and um, everyone agrees. In fact, it's you wouldn't be going talking to the psychologist because the last that's the last thing you'd be doing. Um, you end up um, being in a in a what they call a dry cell. They strip you naked, put your um, and they put a, a tear-proof gown on you and leave you in a bare cell until you feel okay again. <laughs> and so, you know, of course, um, that's uh, counterproductive. If you're really going to um, uh, uh, commit suicide, you're not going to be asking the prison office for any support. Um, but you can speak to your friends. And, of course, that's what it's about, sharing a cell with somebody else, having having culturally appropriate support and that sort of thing. That's that's the way through that. So there's no question that people agree um, that, um, that um, uh, uh, having external services is essential, and corrective services accepts that as well, um, although it'll, it'll take a bit of a push and a shove, shove to get that through. Yeah, I'm hoping so, and I'm really glad that you were able to describe the current situation at the moment because really there's there's not a lot of support and there is a lot of suicide. Absolutely, no, no, because it's um, totally, totally essential. But the the mental illness issue is the other issue that you um, you raised with me, and I just yep. think I think that's a, such an important space in, in, inside prisons. Uh, the the temptation now for administrations to actually call someone um, someone mad or mentally disturbed and act as though it's um, a positive um, thing where they're going to be looked after better. It's just in, on the ground is actually so wrong. Um, because the only response in that situation is not to give them counselling or to give them something um, that relieves the pressure or even just to you know, consider release or whatever that is. Um, the, the response, in fact, is to forcibly medicate that person. And that's such an outrage. It's, um, it's something that um, is, uh, uh, is happening equally across, well, across every state. Um, but Victoria has, um, in some ways, has a unique our, our, um, our status of having just come through a Royal Commission and, um, and quite a few things um, are changing there, but slowly. Um, so here in New South Wales, we're, we're um, examining that really carefully, working now on, on the um, entitlement for people to, and to say no to medication and, um, and to instead have um, a peer mentors, people who are, um, who are their mates or people who have been through tensions themselves, getting in and giving a hand, giving other people a hand, and that social support has been seen as extremely important and, um, and, um, and much more effective. The statistics are really clear. Much more effective um, than, than um, the, uh, the idea of um, taking medication, whether it's forced or otherwise. So that's a really interesting and very important space. Very important. And... Just, um, if you can just, what's the Royal Commission in Victoria that you were referring to? Well, the Royal Commission, it was the Royal Commission in Victoria that ran for two years. It was actually cost, cost several million dollars. 
And at the end of that, I think the report came down about a year or so ago. We spent some time looking at that too, because we um, here in New South Wales we hadn't didn't have a royal commission, and and we were hoping to get, to piggyback on the back of um, the success that had um, been accomplished there in, in Victoria. And so a lot of things occurred, including um, the agreement that the coercion. Like coercion in, in mental health should end. So that, we're talking now about people being locked in cells away and because of um, uh, uh, um, locked away uh, or else medicated, that coercion and restraint, whether it's physical restraint, being locked up, whether it's been held down or whether it's actually being forcibly injected, that all those things um, should cease and instead there should be, um, people should um, be listening first of all to the person who's in distress and then, and then, um, uh, and then dealing with that, and quite often even just even just sitting and quietly with them and allow, allowing them to um, to um, uh, to debrief, explain where they are, and, and offer a sympathetic um, uh, ear has been found extremely important. Extremely important. So there's some very um, important studies that say exactly that. Something called the Soteri experiment said that um, that um, of the people who could receive medication, 68% of them relapsed as opposed to the ones who got no medication, and, um, and they, they, only 31% of them, them relapsed. And um, likewise, the World Health Organization um, comes up very stark figures um, talking about how medication, in fact, um, is less likely to end up with a positive long-term result than actually people um, having social support and working through their problems. So there are very significant um, uh, uh, studies that say that some medication is wrong, and when you forcibly medicate someone, that's actually that's poisoning someone. That's an outrage, and that's one of our key uh, key policies which we're chasing. Brett, thank you so much for coming onto the program. Can you just give listeners the website of Justice Action website? Yes, absolutely. Well, I think you'll find a lot of the stuff I've talked about will be on the website. So the website's address is www.justiceaction.org. Org, that's org dot au, and it's got the information there. You'll find there's heaps and heaps of their contact points and things like that as well. People want to write to us, and it's PO Box three eight six, Broadway, New South Wales two double oh seven. So PO Box three eight six, Broadway two double oh seven, where we will respond to letters. So they can send us letters, and we're very happy to um to give any advice we can. And it's really an interesting point that you made as well in regards to the fact that other countries. Scandinavian countries are doing the counselling program, the external program. We're really behind the times and we're still in colonial times, 1788 all over again. Yes, absolutely. No, we can certainly pick up the game, but uh, uh, now that the computers are in cells, then um, that'll change. That'll definitely change, and things will um, definitely open up. So we'll, have, you know, definitely the, the um, just even the uh, ability for people to express themselves, to get out there, and to actually use the time in their souls positively to um, develop, to even earn money while they're in jail, actually using their skills, using their computers and cells. That'll be going to be very interesting. Absolutely. Brett, thank you so much and keep up the beautiful work that you're doing. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mercer. Thanks for the chance to talk with you. Thank you. Bye-bye. 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 And that was Brett Collins from Justice Action coming on for his regular update on the Do and Time show, speaking about some of the projects that Justice Action has been doing. And I'm going to be playing you a song presently, and it's by... Alice Skye, and she's a, an Aboriginal musician, and the, and the song is called Only Bones Get Left Behind. I found you by the water I found you on this 
Gecko's turning 30 and we're having a party. The Goongra Environment Centre has been fighting to protect East Gippsland's forest since 1993 and we want a party with you. There'll be music, performances, food, drink, old friends and new friends. What better way to celebrate the end of native forest logging in Victoria? From December 1st to the 3rd in Goongra, East Gippsland. To find out more, go to gecko.org.au. Gecko, 30 years fighting for forests. Get down to the party. Celebrate with us. A 3CR supporter. Every form of discrimination that exists in our community is magnified and utilised by prisons to cause greater division and disarm solidarity. We've got a really 
put a lens of perspective on this and know that there are children being incarcerated as young as 10 years old. Police and prisons, they're doing exactly what this colony wants them to. Who do we defend? And who else? Prisons, pull them down. Yeah. 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. And in case you've just tuned in, this is 3CR Community Radio Doing Time Show and this is Marissa hosting it until 5 o'clock this evening. And I have taken the liberty of actually putting on some of the announcements twice, just for emphasis. This show has primarily been about not just prisoners but also about Palestine. I felt that it was really important that the Doing Time Show stood in solidarity with the people of Palestine and it was extremely important and critical that that interview with Omar actually be be aired. And I'm hoping to have him back for future updates as time goes on. Just before I go, I wanted to <clears throat> just speak about the Free Palestine Melbourne and talk about what it is. It's a community organisation dedicated to raising public awareness of the Palestinians' 100-year struggle for freedom. And the goals are to act in solidarity with the Palestinian people in their calls for peace and justice in Palestine and right to self-determination and freedom, to work for justice and equality for all Palestinians in accordance with principles of international law and human rights, including the right of return, to create space and promote Palestinian voices and foster increased awareness of the Palestinian struggle. And Free Palestine Melbourne meets monthly and they welcome the participation of anyone who supports a just peace in Palestine based on universal human rights and international law. So if you want to um, rock up to some of those meetings, just um, Google that and work out where that location is and turn up to the the protests every Sunday uh, at 12 o'clock at the State Library. And as Oma said, don't come to the protest unless you actually acquaint yourself with the history of Palestine because historical context is really, really important. So thank you so much to our guests for participating on the show. We heard firstly from Omar from Free Palestine Melbourne and then we spoke to Brett Collins from Justice Action and he's always a delight as well coming onto the show uh, to talk about some of the projects that have been happening in the name of the prison struggle. So it's approximately 4.55. We have about two minutes left of our show before I'm out of here. Coming up next is Climate Action. And I'm going to be going out now with our theme song, Black Fella, White Fella by the Rumpy Band. And it's goodbye from Marissa. And we're, well, I'll see you every Monday from 4 to 5 for the Doing Time Show. Stay radical and stay safe. Bye. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast. 
produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. I'm